Romans 15. We're almost done. Some of you thought we weren't going to get through Romans until you're like dead. We were going to get through it, all right? Next week is chapter 16. If you know anything about 16, come just to hear me find a way to preach a message through that because it's a very interesting chapter. But we are, we're working through this great teaching. And I think it's been so fitting as last week we had our encounter services. You know, this, this whole teaching of Paul to the church at Rome was how do we come into knowing God? How do, we, how do we come into understanding his grace? How do we recognize he's done everything for us? And then these last few chapters, have been, then how then do we live it out on the day to day? How do we practically walk as followers of Jesus Christ? And today I want to speak about really a a thought or a topic that I think is so incredibly important for us today, important for our world today, but yet is incredibly countercultural. In fact, Christianity is countercultural when you think about it. If you want to be great, become the servant of all. The, The last will be first, the first will be last. You want to find your life? Lose it. If you want to lose your life, just go on your own way. It's so countercultural, but yet specifically in our season, I really believe this message is one that the church needs not only to grasp, but begins to model throughout the world today. Because today we're going to talk about the, the incredible power of unity. You see, everywhere we look around us, we, we live in division. I, I think people mistakenly say today, oh, we've never been more divided than we are today in the United States. We well, need to be a history student for a while because that's not true. It's just we have more media to make us feel that way today than we've ever had. We've always been divided. In fact, since the Garden of Eden, the fall of mankind, we have been divided. The, the, the idea of being one is so hard for humanity. The idea of loving each other is so hard for humanity. But when I say it's hard for humanity, I, I will caveat that saying it's hard for humanity without Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that one of the number one things God wants to see in us is unity so that the world may see that we are one. But we see division. We see it politically. Unfortunately, we see it racially and philosophically, not only in businesses and in, in, in high offices, but also in homes and in families where, where there's no peace because there's disunity. And in Paul's message in chapter 15, he begins to speak about, about God's unity and about the power of that. And he speaks about the need of it, especially, he says, in the church of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. It'll be up on the screen this morning. The church, it is not to be a reflection of society. Did you know that? We're not supposed to be so comfortable society. Remember chapter 12 of Romans, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The church is not to be a reflection of society, but a reflector to society of the glory and the goodness of God. That they see him through us. They recognize God's goodness because they see he is good in us. So Paul was writing here to the Romans. And he was writing to a very incredibly diverse audience, much like today. They had different backgrounds. They had different ethnicities. They had different places they were from. They had different experiences. But yet Paul was saying to them, God wants us to be one. He wants us to be unified together. Now, now recognize something this morning that unity is not sameness, and aren't you glad? Unity is not about being the same. That'd be very boring, wouldn't it? No, unity is actually a miracle because what unity is is taking people who are different, headed in, and making them come to a place where now they're headed in the same direction to achieve a common purpose. People that are different, different ideas, different backgrounds, different thoughts, make them come together and bring them to now where they're heading in one direction for one purpose. 
Let me help you out in this season. How many know it's football season? Anybody? I was going to use Carolina Panthers, but I wanted to press everybody. So, so whatever, your, whatever your team you're rooting for now, or if any of the fantasy team or whatever, I think it's a great example of unity. I had the privilege of playing football. I, I love the concept of team sports. Because if you think about it, and, and you watch a team today, maybe you know nothing about football, but if you notice, they are all lined up facing one direction. But every single one of the men on the field are individuals with different gifts and different talents and different assignments and different purposes. But yet, they all turn towards one goal line and they, they all focus on achieving one thing because it's actually their differences that make them strong. If they were all Cam Newton, well, again, I don't want to impress you, if they were all the quarterback, there'd be no defense. If they were all Luke Keekley, It'd be fun to watch, but there'd be no offense, right? They're just, you know, it, it, they all have differences, but yet they've come to that same place where we are focusing on one goal and we get there when our differences come together and make us one. And it's the same in our families. It's the same in companies, but it's especially the same in church. In fact, without unity, listen carefully, without unity, God's blessing, power, and presence upon a church is impossible. Say, so where do you get that? Psalm 133. Check it out, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collars of his robe. What's up with that? What does that even mean? You see, Aaron was being appointed as the priest over Israel. And in that, in that moment, they, they poured olive oil over him as a sign, as an emblem or a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God literally coming down on him, running over him, representing that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is an anointing that you'll find nowhere, nowhere else. And he was saying to us, he said, look, that, that unity, he said, where it is, there is an anointing. He said, it is like as if the dew of Hermon. Who's Hermon? Hermon's the largest mountain in Israel. It was very beautiful. It's snow-capped. It's, it's, it's tall. You just picture that, that refreshing picture of a mountaintop, right? He said, it's like the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Well, Mount Zion, right outside of Jerusalem, is, is not as tall as, as Hermon, but it's also arid. There is no snow. There is no water. It's very, very dry. And what he was saying is, is when brothers dwell together in unity, he said it's like the dew of Hermon were to, were to come down from the high and, and come upon Mount Zion. And where it was dry, now it comes to life again. Where it, was, where it was weak, now it becomes strong. It reminds us that where there's unity, there is refreshing that comes from, the, from above. Why? For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. You know, when you read that, it ought to make us as believers say, I, I, will do, I want to do everything in my power to see that, I, that the church of Jesus Christ has unity. I want to do everything in my power to promote unity across the body of Christ, across congregations, across denominations, but specifically in my own church. Why? Because I want a church full of God's presence and power everywhere that people can come and know him. Amen? I know it's 9 o'clock, people, but come on. It ought to make us grab it. That's why the Apostle Paul, many times, I think it's about seven times through his letters, spoke about unity. But in Ephesians 4, verse 3, he said, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It kind of reminds me, we were reading Romans 12, he said something very similar. He said, As far as it depends upon you, 
be at peace with all men. But he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Listen, gang, unity is absolutely essential for the spreading of the gospel. Unity is absolutely essential it's absolutely you have to have it for the health and vitality of your spiritual life but also the life of the church and let me also before we drive into romans 15 make this very clear this morning this is preventative preaching this morning this is not addressing an issue in the church can i get a yes to that because we have been supernaturally blessed in our 11 years to know the power of unity We've been supernaturally honored by God because from the beginning, in our core values, in our sessions, we said, you know what? We will fight for unity. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but can I tell you, take me seriously on that. Because I know what it is. I spent years resurrecting, turning around old churches that were dying, and most of the time was there was no unity in the house. But I tell you, when we get on the same page, though we are different, we get going in the same direction that we have different preferences. When we get in the same page, well, we may have some different little beliefs that are non-essentials. Can I tell you, it's there that God can move, and it's there that the kingdom of God expands. So how do we do this? And that's what Paul addresses in Romans 15.1. I'm, I'm just feeling preaching this morning. I'm sorry. Got to preach Wednesday night out of town. That was awesome, but I just feel like preaching this morning. Because this is such a powerful statement. And yet it's so simple, but yet we miss it so often. He says, if we want to have unity, if we want to understand how we do this, the first thing is this, we bear one of those burdens. Look at this. We who are strong ought to bear, go back to the scripture, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, if you've been with us through this teaching, Paul defined who was weak. He's not talking about baby Christians. He's not talking about people that are physically weak. He is saying that among us, there is always going to be a lot of different preferences and beliefs. But what makes the church beautiful is the church is not about our preferences. It's about our desire to honor the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he said in that, because we have different preferences, different views, different backgrounds, he said there are those that are weak. He said there are those that are, that are uh, overly legalistic. They, they wrote rules where God never wrote rules, but for them they matter. And, and they forget that they matter for them, but they don't matter to everybody else. And in fact, the, the Bible said that it was those with the most rules that, that really tried to get that, that legalistic check-the-box kind of spirituality were weaker than those who found freedom in Christ. But at the same time, there are those that are overly liberal in their freedom, that are always living on the edges, in fact, like living on the edges, as if to prove something, instead of letting God move them in a place where now they're honoring and preferring others above themselves. So what Paul is saying is, he said, we are to bear the failings or bear the burdens, carry the, the struggle, the weight of somebody else's struggle. That, that word failings, in, in the original language, it's infirmities. And he speaks of it this way. He said, you know, in the body of Christ, there are people that are going to be struggling. Some with addiction, some with sorrow. There's going to be struggle in the body of Christ because we are a bunch of humans coming together around one purpose to worship God. And some are struggling with sinfulness and the pressures of life that are difficult. And, and some wrestle with depression. And, the, and then what he's saying is, instead of us sitting back and just talking about people, well, if they just have more faith, Oh, give me a break. 
Well, instead of doing prescriptive medicine, hey, let me tell you what you need to do. No, we ought to come alongside them and walk with them and love them and share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Then let God heal them and let God bring them out. It gets our eyes off our own burdens when we do so, but it grabs hold of somebody else's and says, you know what, I'm not whole unless you are. That's why Paul said to the church in Galatia, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of of Christ what, what's he saying he's saying we need to we need to extend God's grace but also come alongside and lovingly help the weak recognize that God can work in them and God can work through them and if they are overly legalistic and they're killing everybody then we come alongside them and we say hey we love you we're glad you're convicted that way we're glad you're serving God that way but you know what that's for you not everybody else so tone it down and we also come along the ones that don't think there's just anything called a rule and we say you know what the bible is pretty prescriptive there are things he says we are not to do there's things we're not to be engaged there's things we are to avoid in fact he gives a very big broad when he said avoid even the appearance of evil maybe we need to to come a little more to the center bit but we do it not in a judgmental not in a tearing down way but in a way that builds up so that we can help each other walk through the pressures of this life because how many know that though we may not be more divided i really don't believe that i, I really do believe this i think we feel more pressure in life now than we ever have because i think it's i think a lot of it's to the fact that jesus christ is returning soon statistic that shocked me this week i was just doing some research on this the number one category the number one highest category of suicide in america right now is not teenagers it's white dudes that are my age it's it's upper middle aged white males i don't know that i have the answers i don't know i have an understanding of all that but i think somewhere along the way the pressures build and they they don't look to christ the pressures build and it overwhelms them you see we are to carry each other's burdens we're not to gossip or feel smug about somebody oh i'm better than them i don't deal with that until you do or be prescriptive in our advice, we just want to come near them. Carry the load until they grow strong. Someone might say, well, Mike, if you do that, don't you know they're going to take advantage of you? Don't you know they're just going to lean on you? Don't you know that they're just not, not even going to try? If that is our thought and that is our mindset, we need to thank God that was not his thought or his mindset or we would have never had Jesus because we take advantage of him every single day. Every day every day the man who says i have no sin is a liar according to first john we're not oh i'm perfect jesus don't worry about me you need his grace every day i need his grace every day why because we need him he came for us you see guys we are to bear each other's burdens the second thing paul says we're to build one another up we're to we're to build up strengthen us romans 15 2 says each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up you know, you thought that was going to say each of us should please ourselves, right? No, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. How do you do that? How do you, how do you lift the load of a neighbor? And, and honestly, I think the thing that we have to answer is that, well, who's my neighbor? Well, thankfully, Jesus taught us the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said our neighbor is anyone in need. Anyone in need. Anyone in need. The Good Samaritan. So what is the quickest way to build someone up? What is the build, quickest way to, to lift the load and to, and to build up your neighbor? I'll be very honest with you. It's pretty simple. We do it most and we do it best with our words. What we say. It's not a casserole every once in a while dropped off in the front door. That's a good thing. But I'll tell you, it's our words. 
It's constantly thinking, how can I build you up? How can I lift you up? How can I work through you? One of the spirits of, of Hope Church in our early days was the spirit of sarcasm. That was kind of a thing. I don't know why that came in as we, as we built this place. And I've been a crusader ever since of saying, you know, that's cute and fun until it's not. Because some people can't take it. They've been wounded to such a place those words penetrate deeply. Paul said, if we really love each other and build each other up, we are careful even with that. Why? Because most people are already too hard on themselves. And they need a word of encouragement to build themselves up. They, they battle that inner talk. You failure. I can't believe you. you. You stand up like you're so righteous. Don't you know? Look, look at your family. Look at this. Look at that. The, the voice of the enemy becomes our own voice if we're not careful. And we, we are so down on ourselves. And if someone comes along that should be building us up and they put us down even further, it's just like grinding us down, which is exactly what Satan wants. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. You see, the world is so quick to criticize. The world celebrates failure. But not so in the church. Let it not be said in the church. Let it never be said of us. We don't take joy in someone else's weakness. We don't take joy in someone else's pain. We don't sit back and we see a family go through struggle and all we think is, oh, so glad it's not me. No, no, we come and we say, God, thank you. That, Lord, they are part of my family. They are part of my body, God. And, Lord, my role is to encourage them. God, you've equipped me to do that. And, Lord, I want to do so, God, to honor you. Here, here's my challenge for us this week. I, I'm just going to lay it out there. I, I want to challenge you that every day, say in 10 encouraging words to somebody, maybe even today, well, that got quiet. You're like, oh, that's a lot. I don't know. Come on. You see, when we conscientiously align with what God desires, then it becomes a joy. Then you begin to look for ways to honor God. You find, a, you find an opportunity in that store when, it's, when the line's too long and, 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 the, and people are like hammering on the checkout person and you come along and instead of having that same attitude, you, you just find something nice to say to them and bless them. It's when you come home and everything is chaotic and, 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 and you're just wanting to just air out on each other as a couple. You just stop and you give thanks for each other and you bring an encouragement or you speak to your kids an encouraging word even when they are kids and you lift them up. Why? Because the Bible says so and Ephesians 4 29 one of my favorite verses in the Bible that just say practical practical verses do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may what benefit those who listen now I always thought that meant the person is receiving the encouraging words maybe that's part of it but I think it's a little different I think the world is so used to criticism and put down, and when they hear someone speak encouragement, they stop. And they're like, whoa, what's that about? Don't believe me? I never forget uh, the, first son, the first week after I had gotten the car I drive, I got a little vanity plate on the back of it that says, hope for you. That's what it says. And the very first week, I was over at the UPS store going to get our mail. That was back before we had our building. And a, and a young man is out behind my car taking pictures of it. And I'm like, what? And I walk out and said, what are you doing? I'm taking a picture. Why are you taking a picture? He goes, I cannot believe anybody puts such a positive message on a car these days. Because everything around me tears me down. Everything around me tells me I'm not worthy. 
And I got to witness to him and talk to him. That's why the bus is fixing to have real hope on the back of it. Why? Because we believe there's real hope through Jesus Christ. But it gets down in this place of saying the words of encouragement give life. There was an incredible study that was done by, by the University of Denver and Catholic University. They studied marriages. And they studied marriages that stayed together for a long time and those that, that just didn't survive. And they were trying to understand why is that. And they, they had their thoughts. What's well, about infidelity or it's about finance or whatever else. And it came down to the number one reason they found for the marriages that fell apart was words that were spoken. In fact, they, they said this. They said that hostile put-downs act as cancerous cells that if unchecked erode the relationship over time. Isn't that true? Did I say 10 words? How about 20 words a day this week? Let our vocabulary change. Maybe you're going through a hard time in your relationship. It's gotten stale. It's gotten old. You stop trusting each other. There, the intimacy is not right there. Can I tell you, it probably began with a word spoken more than anything else. There needs to be repentance and a return to encouragement. This is good preaching, Mike. I love it. Thank you. You see, when you put down people around you, it's like injecting them with a deadly virus is what it's saying here. So he said, if we're going to build people up, let it be done with words of encouragement. Thirdly, Paul said, if we are going to have unity, we learn to live like Jesus. And I know that is such a catchphrase. How do you live like Jesus? Well, he kind of gives us a hint here. Romans 15, verse 2 through 3. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So who did Christ live to please? The Father. Everything about him was, I'm, I'm, I've come to do my Father's will. Everything about him was not making life easy for me. Or, or It was like, everything I do is to honor my Father. Check it out, John 4, 34. It won't be on the screen. It says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He said in John 5, 30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Here's the question I have to ask this day. Whose will are you pursuing? If your whole life is about pursuing your will, then I'll tell you, your whole life is not adding to unity. It's actually adding to disunity because you've made it all about you. But when you honor God and say, I am not my own, I've been bought with a price. I'm a child of the king. Lord Jesus, what do you want to do through me today? It changes everything. It changes everything. You see, a lot of unity or disunity depends upon who we're trying to please. That's why Jesus said, the one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. I will always do what pleases him. Think about it. To his very end of his human walk, he made it very abundantly clear that the Father's will, the Father's desire was to be done above all else. So much so that he said in Luke 22, he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. You see, when we are living to do the will of the Father, the world takes notice. When we are living to do the will of the Father, the world will see. You see, I believe a key to unity is this. Live life to please the Lord and to please others. And when you do that, I'm going to tell you, you start building people up. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. Mike, this is a doormat message. You're just telling us to be doormats, let people walk on us. Now, let me tell you, when you begin to do what God asks us to do, God will build you up enough that you will never be harmed by letting someone else take advantage of you. When you have God building you up, you will take joy when someone struggles and they struggle all over you because you'll be able to say, you know what? I'm doing the will of the Father and I'm making room for God to work where some people think he's not able to work. 
So we build each other up. Here's the fourth thing. How do we have unity? In Romans 15, 4, he says, let God's word strengthen and encourage us. Let God's word strengthen and encourage us. Romans 15, 4 says, for everything that was written in the past was written to each of us. Okay? So what he's saying is, the Old Testament is relevant to New Testament believers. Can I get an amen? Now, it doesn't mean we are to try to live the Old Testament. There are a lot of laws and customs that were meant for the children of Israel. We need to recognize that. But can I tell you, the Word says that everything that was written there was an example to us that we can learn from and know how God works in real people's lives. The stories are not fairy tales. They're not fables. They're examples to us of what God does for his people. In fact, in two weeks, we're starting a little four-week series coming out of Romans where we're going to go back to the book of Jonah, somebody. And it's not about a whale, but it's about something we need to know today. He says, for everything is written in the past is written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. What is hope? It's the anticipation of what God is going to do. God, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. God, if you delivered Daniel out of the lion's mouth, why do I fear what I'm in right now, God? Lord, if you, if you work that way then, God, I trust you to work now. And I say to you, God, do it again. Endurance, the ability to stand in hard places in the trials of life. Because the word of God will tell you it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And God is with you. God stands with you. He may rescue you out of it. He may not, but he'll never forsake you. That's why the Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, said, Hey, you want to kill me? Fine. Heaven is waiting. But I'm not done with the Father's will, so leave me here. You know, that's really the attitude of a believer. Heaven's waiting. Whew. I can't wait. But while I'm here, we've got work to do. And then finally, he says encouragement. Because encouragement reminds us that God always walks with us, that he comforts us through his word. Church, listen, this year we've talked about biblical engagement. Don't get lazy about reading that which will give you life. Don't, don't get a little snippet in the morning and, and say that's enough. Let God's word speak into you. Because in doing so, we're getting the same hope, the same endurance, the same encouragement from the same source. And guess what we have? Then we will have unity. That's why at hope we come around the word of God. You don't come to hear my opinions or my, my leadership lessons. We come to say, what does God's word say? Because his word makes us one. Fifthly, he says, let God's power develop maturity in you. I was going to ask who needs maturity today, but that'd be a stupid thing to ask. <laughs> let God's power develop maturity in you. Romans 15, verses 5 through 6, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying the same God that knows you inside and out. The same God that knows your good days and your bad days. Never wavers in his love for you. The same God that, that knows your, your words before you even speak them. The same God that, 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 that gave you life. The same God that knows your inabilities and your strength. Never sits in judgment up there saying, I wish I hadn't made. He loves you with an eternal love. And because of that, he is the one who's able to change us from the inside out. That's why the scripture says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow is so powerful. Because God doesn't change. But we need to change. I don't know about you, I learned something a long time ago. You really can't develop maturity in you. But God sure can. We just got to stop fighting against it. 
We hit a rough spot. Oh, God's abandoned me. The church hates me. Where's Jesus? He's right next to you. The Holy Spirit, if if you've been listening, the Holy Spirit's with you. And it may be that trial you're walking is the very thing God is wanting to develop maturity in you through. But we fight it. Oh, that's Satan. We give Satan way too much credit. He's defeated anyway. If it's him, rebuke him and move on. We're going to tell you sometimes it's God that allows you to walk through things because we need to grow up a little bit. But aren't you glad God's not sitting in heaven shouting to us, grow up, come on, you, grow up over there. And what we'd, we'd be like, how? Because <laughs> we can't unless God works in us. See, he develops maturity in us. And it's interesting to me that, that their maturity that he's looking for is not measured by how much Bible you know or how long you pray or how long you've been a believer or whether you exercise spiritual gifts or not. According to the scripture, the measure of our maturity is simply this. It's how well we get along with each other. Unity. That's maturity. One of the saddest things I, I, I see is, is people have been in the church of Jesus a long time and can't get along with anybody. And I'm like, you may be old, but you are an infant when it comes to maturity. You may have 40 years under your belt, but you had like one lesson and you didn't learn it. You see, he says, look, our maturity is not that we can quote the Greek and the Hebrew. Our maturity is not that I prayed longer than you. Our maturity is I know how to get along and to love people and encourage them and build them up and honestly to prefer them over myself because that's what scripture teaches. You see, guys, maturity is when we learn to get along. How did Jesus get along with us? Honestly, he, he, put up, he puts up with us. He bears our burdens. He knows our weaknesses and he loves us anyway. He carries us when we're weak. He loves us. Why? Because he Gave his life for us. I love what verses 15, 6 says in the, in the message version. He says, here's the result of it. He says, then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus Christ. I'm not a big choir. I sang in choirs. I sang in choirs because she was in the choir. And I want to be near her, so I sang in the choir. That's why I got in Bible quiz, and she got me in all kind of stuff. Because I just want to be with her. And choirs to me are like symphonies. Have you ever been to the symphony before the show starts and they're all warming up? And you're thinking, I paid for this? Sounds like a cat on a bad day. Screeching and raunching and everything else. You're like, oh my gosh, what can come out of this? But then all of a sudden they blend all their unique individual pieces together. And you're like, oh, now that's, that's powerful. That moves you. That speaks to you. And God is saying that's what happens when we come together in unity. If we're all doing our individual thing, it sounds like the screeching cat. But we come together, and God says that pleases him, and it speaks to the world. Here's the last two things. We're going to wrap this up today. He says if we want unity, he says we need to learn to welcome one another, to accept one another. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 7 says, Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I love this story when Jesus went to feed the 5,000. If you remember, the disciples were tired. He was tired. There was no real quick answer. And yet the Bible says he welcomed them to the place. He welcomed them to a point of need. Church, in the same way, welcoming each other doesn't mean we have smiley greeters that shake your hand, which we do, and they're wonderful. 
It means when you come together as the body of Christ, you're so not focused just on what you need or what you're going to get that you're looking all around you. And you're, you're, I call it hunting strays. You're just looking out and saying, who's not in fellowship? Who's not getting greeted? Who's not coming around? And you go and hang out with them and you, and you love on them. And you know what? Even when they may not be as far along as you think they are being Christ, you're not offended by them, but you accept them as Christ accepted you. Because on the day you got saved, you were one thing, you were saved. And sanctification started at that point. God started working in you. He says, in the same way, we are to accept one another. And finally, and this is the one you thought might be the very first one, but it's not. And he said, that is this, we are to serve one another. We're to serve one another. Therefore, I urge you, Romans 12, 1, back to, back to literally the basis of this whole section of practicality. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Remember what that says. He says, in light of all God has done for us, how can we not offer ourselves to God in his service? And when we say in his service, what we mean is in service to others. In fact, it's interesting. When you serve, I, I believe when we serve, we're telling other people that Jesus Christ is real. I believe when you serve, we're saying that, that our God is in heaven. He loves us. I believe when you serve, you're, you're a great witness, and you're showing it out there. Why? Because in verse 15, 80, he says, I tell you that Christ has become the servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Gang, listen, you are making a statement every time you serve, and you're making a statement every time you choose not to serve someone. Worship's not just singing four fun songs and clapping your hands. Worship is saying, I want to serve you because I serve a great God. Worship is saying, where, where am I needed? Where are my gifts? Worship is stepping out from where you are and saying, God, I don't care. Just as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, Lord, help me learn to serve other people, God, in a way that honors you. One of the things we, we don't do at Hope is we don't beg for people to serve from the pulpit. I don't believe in that at all. We preach God's word. We let it get in you. And then we start building teams. Why? Because on teams, we begin to know each other. And we begin to love each other. And we begin to serve others. And you know what? It's contagious. And, and as it's contagious, we begin to grow together. I, I can tell you, when Mel took over Kids Church, she understood something about serving that was a ray of recognizing, honoring God. We went from 20 people working in kids ministry to 90 people in about two months. We were wearing out the background check forms it was amazing but what we were showing was this you will see jesus most clearly when you begin to serve others and not only that your needs will be met but if we just show up blow up and blow out we just take them home with us see serving always brings unity my, my mentors he was full of great sayings don't you wish you were a person that's full of great sayings I wish I was. I'm not. I'll never write a book. I just, he was full of sayings. He always had these sayings for everything. And he was pre-internet generation. makes it even better. But he told me one day, he said, Michael, he said, those that are rowing the boat don't have time to rock the boat. Come on, that was worth the whole day of being here. You know it. You're writing it down. You're going you're to use that at work tomorrow, right? Those that are rowing the boat don't have time to rock the boat. Why? Because when you serve, you're bringing unity i'm not going to take time to read verses 9 through 12 it speaks about kind of a rehearsal of what he did among the gentiles but go to the last verse in verse 13 of our teaching today y'all thought i would never get there <sighs> may the god of hope y'all y'all know that sermon you know that scripture 
heard it sometime? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that really say? Think about it for a second. In light of this teaching, because remember we, we taught context. You, you read the word, not as an individual scripture, but in context. Why is that verse there? Here's Paul teaching on unity. Here's Paul, Paul teaching on how to build each other up, bear one another's burden, speak encouragement to each other, serve one another, accept one another. And then he says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that you may abound in the anticipation of what God is about to do when you get together in unity and you begin to walk as one and let God be God and let him be glorified. Church, I'm telling you, when people walk together in unity, how good and pleasant it is. You don't have to know Aaron. You don't have to know Mount Hermon. But you can say this. I know what it is when it's good. And when it's good, we walk as one. We win as one. We serve as one. We love as one. We hurt as one. Guys, that's the body of Christ. That's why church is not a spectator sport. That is why it's not a show and a concert. We are the body of Christ. We are not whole unless we are working together. We are not, we're not, we're not folding out the, the message of Christ unless we are one. And it all comes down to this. Make every effort that unity is always there. Amen?